I'm going to invite everybody right now, uh, men and women, boys and girls all across the city, will you do something with me? I want us all to take a few deep breaths, in the nose, out the mouth, nice and deep, everybody together, let's do it. And again, how about you take a couple of more while I tell you what's happening to your body. When you take deep breaths, your heart rate slows, endorphins are released, your body calms. When we take deep breaths, our body is being restored. It is finding some relief, some calm. (sighs) Right now, we, we live in a space where we are dealing with a pandemic that threatens to steal our breath. Quite literally, this is what is scary about coronavirus, about COVID-19, that for a small percentage of those infected, it actually makes the capacity to take a deep breath an impossibility for people. But what I'm realizing is that both for those friends and brothers and sisters that we want to pray for and and feel the weight of that with, we also realize that culturally and across the board right now, COVID-19 threatens to, to rob us of breath, of the space to breathe deeply. I was reminded of this quote from C.S. Lewis uh, on living in an atomic age. He said this, It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but always a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, the context within which he was writing, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to a friend, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe, in fact, can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. This was C.S. Lewis writing to a time where people weren't just aware of the the possibility of an atomic bomb, but it was so dominating their thoughts that it was robbing them the space of a... And we're in a space where there is a real threat, and we're taking it seriously. And by quoting this, I'm not saying that we disregard the words of civic authorities. We're going to take social distancing seriously. We're going to do our part. But we want to be a sort of people that understand what it is to breathe. To breathe in the face of turmoil. This is what we're going to be laboring to understand together this morning. And I just want to say to all of you, this is our third week where I'm, I'm speaking, looking at a camera. I miss you and I love you, Seven Mile Road. It's a privilege in this time to open the scriptures with you. As you see, I'm, I'm not in my bedroom anymore. I'm feeling better and have been cleared medically to do as much as the rest of us are cleared to do. Uh, and so I'm so grateful for your prayers and for you, your concern. I want you to know that I'm, I'm feeling great. And I, alongside the rest of you this morning, and coming under the authority of God's word with a hope that as we continue to plunge into the Psalms, God would teach us how to truly breathe in the face of turmoil. Our text this morning is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible there with me. I'm going to read these verses for us. Permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. 
He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. We know that everything is moving towards chaos and towards death, that things are coming undone, but when we come to the scriptures, we're in touch with something eternal and life-giving and powerful. We would be really wise to pay attention. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. You see, Psalm 46 is a psalm that is penned out of the context of turmoil. Out of the context of turmoil. And it is going to teach us what it looks like in the very midst of turmoil to breathe. Now the turmoil that's sketched out by King David in Psalm 46, or pardon me, by the sons of Korah in Psalm 46 is this. He, they, they start in verse 2 by explaining this, that the earth gives way. The earth gives way, the, the mountains are moved into the heart of the seas, the, war, the waters roar and foam, the mountains tremble at the swelling. This first phrase that begins to describe the turmoil that is the context of the psalm literally means that the world is changed. When it says the earth gives way, to give way literally means to change. What it's saying is the world is changing. And as a result, change is unsettling. It creates turmoil. It creates angst and longing. It begins to rob us of our breath, as it were. And we know that we are situated in a moment where the world is changing. There was an article this week by Andy Crouch that made the argument that there are, are moments where there's a blizzard, a particular event. There are moments where there is a winter, a particular season. And then there are moments where there is a mini ice age a transformative event that changes the world. And he was making the argument that we are not in the midst of a blizzard, we are not in the midst of winter, we are in the midst of ice age, that there is a cataclysmic and global reality that is happening and the world is changing and change by its very nature is unsettling because it leaves us not knowing how to respond. We're going, well, this is unprecedented. This is territory I've never lived in. The earth gives way. It's changing. And he presses this idea of turmoil and change in two different ways. The, the way that we know the earth gives way, that the world is changing, is that one, there is natural upheaval. The natural order is an upheaval. He uses mountains and waters as a stand-in for the whole of the created order. 
the waters are roaring and foaming, which in part we expect. That's what waters do. They roar and they foam. There are waves in the sea. The sea is tossed about. It was a picture in the Hebrew mind of of chaos, of unknown, because the waters are always moving about. But here he's saying the mountains are moving and they're trembling. This is not normal. The natural order is in upheaval. Mountains are a fixed point. The expectation is that certainly if the mountain is standing, the world is as it should be. That is a fixed point. And he's going, even the things that we thought were fixed are not fixed. The natural order is in upheaval. Isn't it odd, brothers and sisters, that a virus that could be traced to some particular animal in a, in a food market in a particular area in China, whether it be a bat or a ferret, whatever it was that translated this coronavirus to humanity, one virus in a particular animal has brought the globe to its knees. What was previously a fixed point just no longer is fixed. The natural order is an upheaval. And he presses on in verse 6 saying this, the nation's rage... The kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Something is lost on us in the English that's there in the Hebrew. When he says the nations rage, that's the same word that was used of the waters roaring. And when he says that the kingdoms totter, that word for totter is the same word of moving the way that the mountains moved. And so what he's saying is the same thing that's happening in the natural order is now being seen in the governments of the world that the societal structures are an upheaval that mirrors the upheaval of the natural order. So I know this doesn't sound familiar at all, but what he is, what, what's happening thousands of years ago in the pinning of this psalm is this. The world is changing because the natural order and the societal order is an upheaval. This is the turmoil of Psalm 46. And into this space, the psalmist in prayer, in worship, is going to lead us to a place to be able to go. We can breathe even in the midst of this turmoil. The the response to turmoil, what is it that's going to allow us to continue to, to breathe freely in the midst of turmoil like this? Well, the first thing is this. We must enter God's presence. Enter God's presence. God's presence is the thematic element of Psalm 46 that runs its way like a thread through the natural and the societal upheaval. Enter God's presence. Look back at verse 1 with me. It says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. We get this word refuge in verse 1. And what we realize is that God's presence is particularly enticing in times of trouble. That word for refuge is used all throughout the scriptures and it is used all throughout the Psalms most consistently in the context of storms. It's actually when there's something raging that we need a shelter. When the, when the rains are driving and the wind is strong, we need somewhere to shelter. We need a refuge. Think of it like a storm cellar. My wife grew up in the Midwest and many homes there have storm cellars because when the tornado winds come, things that previously were fixed and provided shelter are no longer trustworthy. And so we need to get down into a subterranean space that can't be carried away by the winds. We need a refuge. 
It would be a, a fair translation when you see the term refuge to think storm cellar. And here, God's presence is the storm cellar, the place that will keep us settled even when the storms rage. It reminds me of the lyrics of a song by Regina Spector called Laughing With. She says this in her song, Laughing With, No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they're starving or they're freezing or they're so very poor. No one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine tests. And no one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kids are not back from that party yet. No one laughs at God when the airplane starts to uncontrollably shake. No, one is, no one's laughing at God when they see the one that they love hand in hand with someone else and they hope that they're mistaken. No one laughs at God when the cops knock on the door and they say, we've got some bad news, sir. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine or a fire or a flood. But God can be funny at a cocktail party when listening to a good God-themed joke or when the crazies say that he hates us and they get so red in the face that you think they're about to choke. God can be funny. When you're told that he'll give you money if you pray just the right way and when presented like a genie who does magic like Houdini or grants wishes like Jiminy Cricket and Santa Claus, God can be hilarious. You see, what Regina Spector is putting her finger on is this, that, that God in times of trouble, when, when, when trouble really strikes and hits, it's not that we're laughing about God anymore. We're clinging to him. Even those who previously claimed to be atheist or agnostic are beginning to go, okay, God, where are you in this moment? What I love about this text is this. God's not offended by that. There's part of me that thinks if I'm God and when everything starts going wrong, what you were previously laughing about at a cocktail party, now you're running to me in need. There's part of me that thinks I'd turn a shoulder and go, well, you should have been here previously. Where were you when everything was going well? But do you hear what the text says? God is very present. Very present help in time of trouble. He is so merciful that when we come running back when everything is upended and all of a sudden we start prioritizing his presence, he, he's so merciful to say, actually, I use heartache and trouble to draw you to myself. Don't, don't let your shame keep you from me thinking, well, maybe I should have been here earlier. I should have been here previously. And God's going, no, no, let the trouble draw you to me because I'm a very present help in trouble. And then he goes on as we explore this idea of entering God's presence. In verse 4 and 5, it says, There's a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The reason that God is such a desirable place in the midst of trouble is he's the only place that's not moved. That word moved is used three times. Mountains move, kingdoms move, but right in the middle what we get is this, the city of God is not moved. The place where God dwells is not moved. It is the only fixed point in the cosmos, wherever God is. And beautifully, what do we get in verse seven and verse 11? We get this, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Repeat it again in verse 11 because what he knows is that people in the midst of turmoil and need this good news. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. 
the God of Jacob is our fortress, the only one in all the cosmos that will not be moved is with us. You see, in the midst of turmoil, we need to enter God's presence. We need to run to his presence. This is why we as a people in this season have said, let's read a psalm every morning at breakfast, every noontime at at, at lunchtime, and every evening at dinner, and then let's set an alarm all together at 9 p.m. to pray because what we want to do is we want to run to the storm cellar in a time of turmoil and say, God, we know that you are unmoved. We cling to him. I hope you've been experiencing the joy of that in your home the way, that, the way that we have. It's been so good for us as a Morris family three times a day to sit down and to open the Psalms and to read and let it wash our souls and realize the one who is unmoved is with us. He is with us. We want to get to the fixed place. We need to enter his presence. And then the question is this, what do we do when we get there? What do you do when you run to the storm cellar and the mountains are quaking and everything is tottering, everything is in the midst of turmoil and unrest, and we find ourselves in the presence of God? What do we do? We breathe. We breathe. It's so simple. What I want you to see is this, that the answer to the turmoil in the presence of God is not lots of activity. It's going to be learning to breathe. There's this word that could easily be passed over through this text, but it shows up three times dividing this psalm beautifully, and the word is selah. Selah is a musical term. It shows up in 31 of the 39 psalms that are directed to a choir master. It's a musical term that literally means pause, meditate, breathe. And it's beautiful. I just want you to see how it functions even in this text. It's almost like a transformer step down. As I understand it, the way that that electricity is conducted, that when it's conducted, it it can come in sometimes in really high voltage and a transformer will receive that and then translate it oftentimes to one-tenth or one-hundredth of that power to make it accessible and useful in a home. This is the way a transformer would work. A selah, a breath in the presence of God, is like a transformer step down. Look back at verse three with me. The sea, it says, though its waters are roaring and foaming and the mountains are trembling at its swelling. So in verse three, what you have is a sea that is swelling and roaring and foaming and threatening to swallow mountains. Selah. It's almost almost as if the psalmist is paying attention to the turmoil, the natural upheaval, the societal upheaval, and going, oh yes, the mountains are raging. The the sea is threatening to swamp us. Okay, breathe. Verse four, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The roaring seas are transformed into a river coursing through the city of God for the man or woman that situates themselves in the presence of God and breathes. Ah, yes, God is on his throne. He's unmoved. And there's streams that make the heart glad coursing there. Raging seas become glad rivers when we breathe in the presence of God. It's like a transformer step down. 
It's further developed in verses 8 through 10. Look at this. It says, come and behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In verses 8 through 10, we get the activity of the worshiper in the presence of God. And what is, what is it? This word for be still literally means to open your hands, unclench your fists. <sighs> and the interesting thing is that this invitation to be still and know that I am God is in the midst of not our activity but God's. The invitation was just to come and behold, come and look. God is active. He is the one that puts war to the end. He is the one that does battle. He is the one that is going to put an end to all of the weapons that threaten you, that are causing the fear and the unrest. He is the one that will do the work. It reminds me of Exodus 14, 14, when Moses is coaching the Israelites. They've been set free, and they're in the desert moving towards the Red Sea. And, uh, or pardon me, they're moving towards the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are pressing in, and they're thinking, certainly this is the end of us. And Moses says this in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. He's saying, breathe. The Lord is fighting for you. He is fighting for you. Unclench your fist. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. And beautifully, what happens when we enter God's presence and we breathe? It was actually front-loaded in this psalm for us. We got it in verse 2a. The therefore came early on. It was this, therefore we will not fear. We will be fearless souls at rest in the midst of turmoil when we understand what it is to breathe in the presence of God. What he's saying is we will be unafraid. We will not fear the storm because we know the one that is a very present help in times of trouble. Brothers and sisters, the invitation in this season of unrest is an invitation to run to the presence of God and to stay there and to breathe. And the beautiful reality is this, that as we do, what we will come to realize is this, that the great storm is not COVID-19. There is a much greater raging infection, and its infection rate is 100%, and the death rate is 100%. There is an infection that was let loose at the beginning of time that has represented the upheaval of natural order and societal order. And it is like a tidal wave. And it is the true storm that we face. It's the storm of sin. And what we realize is this, that when we enter God's presence and we breathe, we realize that our great refuge is Jesus Christ, God with us. He is the one who, who is this unmoved 
fixed point in the midst of the storm that when his cross was driven into Calvary and he stood in the storm waves of sin itself, what he was doing is he was taking the infection into his bones and saying, I am going to put an end to the storm. And Jesus, even as we enter this season, as we're beginning to draw near to Passion Week and ultimately looking at Easter, what we are reminded of is this, that the great victory has been won and all you have to do is be silent and watch him fight for you. We turn our gaze to the cross and we realize that we have a God who has conquered not just small Uh, storms on the horizon, but the great storm that swallows all of the others. He's put it to rest. He has conquered and he is seated on a throne saying, come to me. I am God with you, Emmanuel. And as I am with you, you are free to breathe in my presence, knowing that there is living water that makes glad the city of God that you can drink freely from. You see, we are a people that can breathe and be brave. Brothers and sisters, we may know people that get coronavirus. Some people in our community may get coronavirus and it may rob them of their breath. And the truth is, if it's not corona, it's going to be something else. We are all going to die. One day, there will be a final exhale. But the beauty is this, learning to breathe in the presence of God (sighs) creates a fearlessness and a calm and a life that even death can't touch. We will be in the city of God surrounded by the waters that make our hearts glad one day because Jesus has secured the victory and in that we can rejoice. And in that we can say, we will not fear. We will not fear. So enter his presence. (sighs) Breathe deeply. And fear not. Amen. Let me pray for us. So gracious God and Father, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharp. We thank you that you are on the move, that you are on the throne, and that what you invite us into is not activity to try to manage and to control. You invite us into the space where all we have to do is enter in by faith and breathe. And so I pray, God, that we would be the sort of unanxious presence disseminated all across this city that's receiving your grace and and rejoicing in it. And to those of you who've never said yes to Jesus, know that the only way our fear will dissipate, our anxiety will be gone, that we will be welcomed home, is that we see him fight for us. Would you turn your gaze to the cross and the empty tomb and place your trust in Jesus and breathe easy. Jesus, you're our hero and our hope. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.